Alright, so we're in the last week of the Five Practices of Fruitful Congregation Sermon Series. And so this week we're going to be talking about extravagant generosity. But I hope one thing, I hope that as we've been going through this, what we're really doing is that we're looking at a way to live out our Christian life. That each of these practices are brought together to make one Christian life. And it's not that I do this or this or this or this, that we do all of these things together. In our, in our walking with God. Extravagant generosity as well, I want to make this point, try to make it a little bit earlier, but it's not just about giving money. You hear anything? Extravagant generosity is not just about giving your money, it's about your heart. Where's your heart? It's not just about the support of this church, it's about the kingdom building work of Jesus, because that's really what we're called to more than anything else, is, is to welcome people into the kingdom. Money is a factor, but extravagant generosity is, is much, much more than just the beginning of money. In our passage for today, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and he is speaking some about money, but, but we'll look past that issue during this passage into the matter of the heart. This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. It's the word of God for all people. Thank you. So extravagant generosity is generosity of in the giving of our very self. I'm going to use an acronym. I'm going to use the acronym HELP, H-E-L-P, this morning. We're going to look at, at those four first letters and hopefully come up with a way to kind of grab hold of it. So we'll start with H, which is heed the compassion command. We are called to be compassionate People. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So we love our neighbor, right? No? Yeah. <laughs> so we love our neighbor, right? Yeah. 
heavy words for a minute. <laughs> we love those around us. Now, you all been here long enough to know I'm going to ask you questions. <laughs> we, love, we love those around us. We love our neighbors. This part of the cross, right? The horizontal part of the cross. Jesus came that we would love God, the vertical part of the cross, and we would also love each other, love our neighbor, other stuff. Every time we look at the cross, it reminds us of that humanity. Love your neighbor, love those around you. Someone said we are never more like God than when we give. We're never more like God than when we give. There was a little boy, and I was talking about stories about little boys a lot this morning. There was a little boy in a war-torn, devastated town in Europe during World War II. Now, he was a little street urchin kind of guy. He was kind of on his own. He didn't have anything. And he was walking around, and he came upon this bakery. Now, by some miracle of God, the bakery was still okay, but it, it, it's still functioning, had windows. And he goes into the, into the bakery, and he's looking at these beautiful, delicious-looking muffins. And he's hungry. And, of course, the little boy said, man, I want one of those. Probably got a little bit of drool coming down one side of the other. And a GI comes up in his truck and he sees the boy there. He goes up to me and says, Man, those look really good, don't they? Said, yeah. You want one? He goes in and he buys 12 of them for that little boy. He brings them out and he gives them to him. The little boy looks up at him and he says, Mister, are you God? <laughs> Who is the body of Christ? Who? We all yeah. us. In that moment, the answer to that question was yes. I have the hands and feet of God. I'm God with skin on. Now I'm not the deity, but I'm He's using me to reach this little boy who's in me. And when you find yourself outside of here in those moments, he wants to use you in that same, same way. He has no hands and feet, but ours. Say that with me. He has no hands and feet, but ours. If we're called to live that out. We need to heed that command to love our neighbor. But in order to do that, we have to start by emptying ourselves. You know, when we're in our day-to-day lives, we get filled up with the world, right? Because there's so much going on, and so our work occupies us, and and our you know our kids and occupies our school, whatever it is, it it fills us, and we're full of all this stuff that's not God. We have to empty, intentionally empty ourselves, so that we can be refilled. Empty yourself, whatever stands between you and God. So Jesus is our example in Philippians two. The Apostle Paul reminds us of how Jesus emptied himself. Though he was God, he didn't think of the quality with God as something to cling to. We think about that. Jesus is God. And he let go of that. He had divine privilege. Took the humble position of a servant. He let go of being master of all to come and be a servant. He was born 
Fully God, fully human. He was fully human. He humbled himself in obedience to God. He humbled himself. And he, more than that, cursed is that which hangs on the tree. He died a criminal's death. He did that for you, for me. He made room for each of us. He emptied himself of his deity. He emptied himself. He was still God, but he emptied himself of his position. And he, he emptied himself of his human life when he was human. For you and for me, he emptied himself. He made room for us. And he did it so that we might become more like him. He became like us so that we in his turn might become more like him. Do you know that we're all going to die? I I break it to you. I know it's not a pleasant thought. <laughs> Ain't no way to get that wild. Let Jesus come on, Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus came to show us how to live, and He came to show us how to die. And as he's been, and we have that great hope, right? As a place that He's been prepared. It's a great hope that we hang on to as Christians. But our path is His path. So when we have to die to things in this world, that shouldn't surprise us. Sometimes we've got to let go of the stuff of the world in order to fulfill that which is God. But when we live like that, in that emptying of self, we become more thoughtful. We become more loving. And I'm not just thinking about me. I'm thinking about how can I help someone else. More caring, more compassionate. We become more human. Really. In the book, Try Giving Yourself Away by David Dunn, the author says in a hundred ways you can give yourself away without ever giving a single dollar. And that's what I mean when I say that we're not just talking about generosity of money, we're talking about generosity itself. As you give yourself away, you become the person that you're always that you were created to be. Think of it this way. As, as when I'm full and I, and I give myself away, the Holy Spirit can come in and fill me. And then that when I give that away, He refills me. And then I give that away and He refills me. And as this process continues to happen, I, 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 I want some of that refilling. I, I like that. And, and so when I'm refilled, I become more and more like Jesus. More and more like Him. To where I want to be empty. So that I can be refilled. In His power. With His power. Able to reach people that seem unreachable. Able to love people that are unlovable. Like I once was. Maybe like you once were. But if we don't empty ourselves, we're full. It's just not in the Holy Spirit. It's not in the Holy Spirit. And then there's that L. Lift the burden of others. Serve somebody else by becoming the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And look, I could give example after example from this inside of these walls this morning, folks in here who have made making a difference in the lives of others. Unfortunately, though, I could probably give examples of people in here who aren't. Who've maybe thrown in the towel, 
servant who once were active but have now stepped back. Have you been lifting the burdens of someone else? Have you been reaching out to others in your life? I hope so. Once we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we will look to lift the burden of others. And I'm talking about lifting the burden of others in the same way that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified in order to lift our burdens and our sin. See, we should always be stretching ourselves. As we work with others, as we, as we reach out to others, it stretches us as we're refilled and we're able to receive more. The Holy Spirit's going to pull us, direct us, and empower us so you can rely on that. And I know sometimes we get tired. Believe it or not, sometimes I get tired. But I know that God will replenish and restore when I empty myself of the stuff that gets in His way. And I hope that you do the same. See, there's no goal too great for God. God's goals are always out there one step ahead of us, one step further than we can go. See, if I can do it of my own power, who am I relying on? Right, so in order to follow where God is and to rely on God, what do I absolutely have to do? Yeah, i got to go further than I can go on my own, right? It's not trusting God to do what I can do. It's trusting God when I go, I can't do this, but I'm going to go ahead and go on out here. And every once in a while, I might feel like I'm thinking. What did God do with Peter when he was thinking? He would do the same with you and with me. Lift the burden of others. Have another example. This involves a little boy, his name was Ronnie. Now, Ronnie was a third grader and he had developed brain cancer. His teacher found out that he was going to need chemotherapy, so she began to tell the class that Ronnie would become a bat soon, but would look very different, that he wouldn't have hair. And she explained to them that he wouldn't have hair because he was a very sick little boy. When Ronnie came back to his class, he discovered that every one of those little boys in that class, you know what they'd done? They shaved their head. They were all bald. Extravagant generosity. Right here. That's lifting the burden. That's getting involved with somebody else. That's making a sacrifice. I'm sure this little boy didn't get up in the morning and go, Hey, I'm going to shout the ball. I'm going to be bald. No. Don't do that. For both. Matthew 11, 29, 30, Jesus essentially says, take up my yoke because it's easy. But the reason that it's easy is because Jesus is the one who's pulling us along. And we have the option of making it hard by going our way. Then that yoke, you know, Jesus is going this way and I want to go this way. You know, that yoke isn't going to feel very good. But when we live the burdens of others, whether it's health issues or loss of a loved one or you know, loss of a job or emotional strain or whatever that other thing might be. A miracle occurs when we're involved in the lives of others. We most often find our burdens are lessened. Our burdens get lifted when we're willing to be the hands and feet of God and the lives of others. 
letters P, and I, and I, I need to put this one in here just because it's important to recognize. We have to pay the price. The world says to earn all you can and give out of your abundance, which is pretty much exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches us. It's not that the Bible teaches us to give in order to enjoy the abundant life. God talks a whole lot about finances in the Bible. I know we don't in church because it gets a hundred people going. Don't talk to me about money. Well, this part's about some money. God's calling us to be people who don't hang on for all we're worth out of fear, but who give and give and give. Remember when I said I, I can do this, but I have to take a step into what God will do? I'll be straight with you. I can't, I can't tie it by my own. We never make it. But I tie it anyway. And we're still here. <coughs> Challenge yourself in, in some way with this. Take a step of faith. Go just a step further than what maybe you can do now. There's not a single person in this room that doesn't really have enough. Some of us want a lot more. But when you look at it from the perspective of the world, it changes something. See, by the poverty level in the United States, those who live under that, 50% of them own their own home. You know how much the poor in the world average in money per year? $2. They make $2 a year. Now, granted, America's different. Different level of expenses and all of that. But think about that. Two dollars a year. Perhaps we should be grateful. We get in trouble when we play the comparison game. When I compare myself to you and I want what you have, you want to do somebody's comparing themselves to me and they want what I have. You know that we always have somebody above and below us, so we always want just that one step up. Who's rich by such and such? Because they have more than me. Don't fall into that trap. Another story about little boys. This is the last one. It's about boys in Sunday school. The teacher was trying to impress upon them the needs of a missionary, how they could help. So she proposed to them, hey, let's give a million dollars to this missionary. And they say, yeah, let's do that. That's great. She said, well, that's kind of a lot, especially for a Sunday school of eight-year-olds. How about a hundred thousand? Yeah, that's good. Let's do that. How about a thousand? Okay, that's good. But how about this? How about just each of us give one dollar? No, 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 no. Says one little boy. She looks, says, what? Why not? Because I have a dollar. <laughs> What would happen if we took that dollar and gave it to somebody who needed a little more? Maybe. A passage talked about those who have too much or have that much, given that the, that the goal is equality, that we support one another. Being rich is not a problem. Wesley put it well. He said, earn all you can, make all you can, save all you can, so that you can give all you can. You know? 
And that's the point is, that's that emptying and filling process. Last story for this one. It's an older boy, this 80-year-old man. Was found by his friend, and he's planning a very short, small tree. And friend, friend came up and said, what, what is that? And he said, why, that's a peach tree. I love to eat peaches. And his friend said, but you're not going to be alive long enough to eat any peaches, not for that tree. And the man looked up at him and he said, you know, I, I love peaches. I've been eating peaches my whole life. And somebody planted a peach tree so that I could eat peaches my whole life. And I planted this tree because there's going to be somebody when I'm gone is going to want to eat a peach. Isn't that what we are as a church? We, we want to hand out this love of God. God gave us this wondrous gift and we want to give it to others. We want to empty ourselves in giving it to those in our life. Some of those folks are going to, we're going to see them. We're going to see them blossom and accept Christ and, and grow in their faith. Some of them, we won't know what happened at all. We plant. We sow. Sometimes we reap. Sometimes somebody else reaps. You know, we want to be that intergenerational process in the church. Of, of this, this love of God that He's given to us, this eternity, this hope that's so huge, we want to hand that off to the generation to come. We want them to experience that which we do. We want to plant these trees. This tall, even if I'm 90 years old. Amen. Be about the business of our God. See, when we come right down to it, these five practices that we've been talking about, they're available to us all. Every single one of them is available to each of us. And the question is whether or not we, each of us, will be people who are hospitable, practice radical hospitality, or welcoming in our lives, drawing people to the kingdom of God. Whether we're going to be those who are practice passionate worship, which is not just what happens here, it's being passionate about our God wherever we are, 24-7 Christian, not 11 to 12 Christian, 24-7, wherever we are, whatever we do, we do it as unto the Lord. That we're going to be intentional about our faith development. That we're not going to leave it a chance. Part of the Lenten practice this year, I know usually we'll collect money and give it away. Part of the Lenten practice this year is simply to take 20 minutes each day and, and read, study, study the Bible. Just study Scripture and see what God does with it. And if you already studied 20 at 10, right? And Rand be glad to give you the slip of paper to keep track. Intentional faith development. Risk-taking mission and service. Are we going to practice that? Are we going to step outside our comfort zone? Are we going to focus not just inside the walls, but outside the walls? In fact, all over the world. And are we going to be extravagantly generous with our time? With what God has gifted us with? Are we going to do that? The question is whether we'll say, God, whatever you gave me is yours in the first place. I came with nothing, I'm going to leave with nothing. And in between, whatever I have is yours. You're just letting me use it.
So I want to spend just a minute talking about giving. This is financial. Malachi talks about giving 10%. It's the tithe. It's the first fruits of what we make. Because if we don't give the first fruits, then we'll find a reason not to give. Then we're giving out of our abundance. But if we give just up front, that's the 10% is the first fruits. Now some will say, the New Testament, Jesus never said anything about that. And they would be right. You know what Jesus said? No. Yeah. Rich Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? How'd that, how'd that turn out? Sell all you have. Follow the commandments. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. So Jesus turns around and says, well, sell all you have and come and to the, to give it to the poor and come and follow me. I love that one. <laughs> if, if, you're, if it's hard to give, and I know it is. We spent years not guiding. But give the next step. Give a little bit so more than what you're comfortable giving. Or go for it all. See what God has. You know, I, that's what we end up having to do. It's just say, we're going to do it. Here we go. The giving isn't for the, for the recipient. When we give, we give for ourselves. It's a spiritual discipline. It's as much it's like prayer and study and meditation and those types of things. We give because it softens our heart. We don't hang on to stuff. God must have known this. We like to hang on to stuff. So we give to soften our own heart. And, and let me be clear about one more thing. If you don't think that Bold Springs is a good place to give to the work of God in this world, don't give here. Give somewhere. Doesn't have to be here. Give to the work of Jesus Christ in this world. It's not about Bold Springs. Giving's not about this church. Giving is about you and about me. Give to the work of God in the world. Don't just give to charity. Give to the work of God in this world. Now, I have faith, as you might, might know, I, we're pretty good. Place to give. Amen? <laughs> but it's not the point. At the end of the day, giving is, is, is a spiritual discipline that helps us and softens us and empties us that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can give in another way, another place. It's an amazing thing to be a child of God. And if you're a believer and, and you're in here and you love God, and I hope that you're challenged in some way this morning. I hope that you'll look at these five practices and, and, and see where maybe I need to pick it up. Because we all need to pick it up so at one point or another. This is a way for us as a church to grow together, to grow more. So I pray that, that you'll embrace that. Yes, Sam, do come. I believe we're closing with a song called Take, Take My Life. There's a word in here that is consecrated. To be consecrated is to be set apart. It's to be holy is the way common English Bible puts it. That's what we're called to as Christians, to be set apart, to be different from the, from the place of the way of the world, 
And I know that part of it. It's, it's, sometimes, you know, there's, you know that there's some people that aren't well, very loveable to come in, into the church. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we're that unlovable person. But we're called to set ourselves apart. To love God, to love our neighbor, and to live that out. So as we sing this song, the altar is open. If you've got anything that's in your way, you don't know Jesus and you'd like to, if you want to rededicate your life to him, this is an opportunity to do it. But these are more than words, and I pray that you sing them that way.